Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes, you know. Hey, Susan, don't do all that. There's another way to enjoy random conversations? Now, thanks to the podcast show, I can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week. No more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation. Tune in weekly on Wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to the Toddcast show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toddcast show. My name is Todd Murat, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers. We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at ToddCastShow.com. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Toddcast Show. Today, we're joined by our guest, Maria Mays. How are you, Maria? I'm doing great. Thank you, Todd. Awesome. It's good to have you here. Thanks for sharing with us today. Yeah, I'm grateful to be here. Grateful for your listeners to give us an ear. Yeah, we're going to share a cool story. I know it. And where are you calling from? I am based out of Madera, California, which is a small town um, in central California near Fresno. So on the road to Yosemite National. Right on. That's cool. Madera, uh, not the funky cold Medina for <laughs> no, no, it's not cold, oh. in fact, at all. It's very hot here in Madeira. It might oh, be really? Funky, but it's very hot. That's funny. Yeah, it's been hot here, too, in Henderson. I've never experienced anything quite like it. And uh, I'm aghast at the, um, the the level of heat. Like, it must be what hell is like. At the very least, you could appreciate how pizza feels while it's getting cooked, you know. Yeah, <laughs> That's how it was. Hot- last one and I said why don't we wait till we're not living on the sun and then we'll we'll mm. do that yeah this is the kind of weather where you have boxed wine and lemon lime soda with lots of <laughs> ice cubes you can go ghetto with it because it's totally okay and it's very refreshing <laughs> <laughs> that was my father's favorite thing and he oh. turned me on to it I don't drink wine a lot but I prefer the good stuff in a bottle but you know if I'm thinking about him I might I might grab a box one day of some good cheap <laughs> boxed wine and mix it with lemon lime and just think about it you know but it was oh, so refreshing cool. it was such a refreshing beverage and you know didn't get you too liquored up too fast that's a good thing <laughs> love that's it a good thing and were you born in madeira also or where were you no i'm actually from a another small town uh, called cold spring which is in minnesota minnesota oh that's you amazing bet. so you are born for born and bred for cold weather <laughs> Yeah, but you can catch me there too often now, so at least in the winter. Okay, <laughs> that's cool. And did you grow up with siblings? Yes, I have um, actually three older siblings and one younger sibling. Very cool, very cool. It's nice to be in the middle, and are both of your parents still with you? They are not, so I lost my dad 11 years ago, and oh, so, but he's still with me, just not in physical form. Um, mm-hmm. and my mom is still here in physical form, so she is 84, 83. I know. 
Right on. Cherish them. Cherish the minutes and seconds together because you know once they're gone, right? Like that's wonderful that you get to enjoy your mother still. What a cool thing. Very cool. Very great. Awesome. And in Minnesota, growing up as a child, this is one of those questions that's just always on my mind. I, I wonder, can you reach back in your mind and think of the earliest memory in your life? What would that be? Like what comes to mind when you reach back? Wow. The earliest memory in my life, I remember my dad carrying me around. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, just as a little baby. Yeah, I think it was pretty little. You know, my I don't have great memory um, really at all, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, memory of early childhood, I don't have a lot. Um, but I okay. do have some, you know, distinct, uh, memories and can come back to that feeling, that sensation of just being cared for. And, um, and yeah, I have a, a memory of him, um, basically picking me up and walking me around, which is something he would do oftentimes to calm me when I would, um, getting a, uh, a, uh, I'll call it an aura or a pre dome, I think is now before having a episode where I would pass out his consciousness. And so, when, which at that time diagnosed as grand mal seizures, um, that started when I was about two. So, some of my early memories are actually of uh, um, the of just being being in his arms, being walked around, because that was a way to help try to keep um, kind of a natural, instinctive way for him to care for me after or before the episode. That's amazing. Do you think some of your memories kind of got erased because of those traumas or? Yeah, it's a combination of the traumas. And then um, a lot of uh, anti-seizure meds have that as a little bit of a side effect. So I think a combination of the two, the trauma of the event itself or the events, I should say, and then being off seizure medicine, uh, most of my my adolescence um, up until, you know, early adulthood, that that too affects your memory. So yeah, I'm in a in a state now in my uh, m- mid zone, I'll call it. Um, I'm still in that from someone I just had a conversation with, and I like that mid zone. It's 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 much better than midlife, I think. Um, so at th- <laughs> at this point now, I really do a lot of work to try to uh, be mindful of keeping my memory strong. You know, through supplement, mm-hmm. through meditation, through a variety of. Uh, and to try to you know tap into those old memories that they're there but sometimes um we can't access them unless we're intentional about it and get to relax yeah um so let's go back a little bit how about your mom what memory comes to mind earliest in your life related to your mother so uh with my mom i have memories of her in the garden and then Mm. me kind of running to her me helping her pick peas in the garden um and just um, in the kitchen baking. Um, so yeah, that would be, and the same kind of thing, like being picked up by her, um, being held by her. That Those are some some early ones for sure. Very cool. And did you get along with your siblings or was there a lot of that sibling rivalry going on in the house? <laughs> you know, there's such a gap in age between us that it it we didn't have, I would say, as much of the, what, I would say is the normal sibling rivalry. There was maybe a little bit of that um, when I first came into play and kind of disrupted, <laughs> disrupted the joint. So my older siblings are nine, ten, and twelve years older than me, and then my younger sister, she's six and a half years younger than me. So, yeah. and the older ones all grew up in Minnesota, and so then they were already through high school, and then I was kind of the move around kid and then my younger sister grew up you know all her memories are from california on so we had a little bit different upbringings even though just culturally and geographically environment even though we were you know had the same mom and dad yeah Uh, do you all keep in touch still today and are you close we do so we um you know we keep in touch via 
a group text during the pandemic. We started doing Zooms on occasion. And then we get together not as often as we'd like to um, just because of the geographic distance. But we were all together this uh, this New Year's back in Minnesota. Um, so one of the first times I've been back there in the cold in the middle of winter in a very long time. So and brought um, it was really cool because my kids got to experience, you know, what I did growing up skating and sledding and at the same house. So my my uh, older sister actually purchased our childhood home um, from the, cool. the gentleman who had purchased it from our parents. And so it's on the lake I grew up on and she renovated it and made it into a beautiful Airbnb. So if anybody's looking to vacation in central Minnesota, I got a spot that's just phenomenal. So yeah, we were able to go back there and see it before it was renovated. So go back into a time machine, basically, and then um, go back after and spend time with the whole, whole gang. So yeah, it's it's cherished moments when we're all in the same place. Yeah, that's beautiful. And the difference in age didn't have any impact on your relationships. Um, I think it did in that it didn't really, we didn't have the opportunity to, to really get into that deep rivalry because there wasn't really a lot of competition, I would say, for attention other than, you know, when a new baby comes along, obviously there's some focus on that from the parents for the caretaking needs. But I was almost looked at, I think, as, you know, that that cute little, that cute little nugget and then, you know, not as much, you know the the traditional what I would call sibling rivalry and I would say the same for my younger sister there were some times you know got into a little tiff here and there but for the most part very very little that compared to what I would say if you're close in age you would experience yeah totally I can see the difference but that's great though and it's good that you had so much love and influence from your parents it sounds like so that all of you developed healthy relationships together that's a great thing <laughs> Yeah, very grateful for that. I mean, we all got our quirks, right? Every family's got our their quirks, sure. and we're not necessarily all on the same wavelength all the time, for sure. But there is that there is that deep bond there that um, and that mutual respect and and love and gratitude. So that's that's all you can really ask for. Yeah, that's what it's supposed to be about. I totally agree. That is fantastic. And uh, as a child, uh, going through seizures and stuff, I assume that at some point there was treatment. And did you find freedom from that? Or was that something that kind of yeah. you for a long time? Yeah, no, that's kind of a big part of my journey in terms of what uh, what led me into the work I'm doing today. So I, um, you know, I was on and off seizure meds most of my life and didn't didn't those didn't really manage it and so um in my early 30s i was um working with a, a doctor at uh it was called wolf epilepsy center in town here and at that time he suspected that what was triggering you know the root cause the trigger for the resulting seizure was uh my anxiety and so we talked about how can we manage anxiety? Well, I was on some SSRIs and benzodiazepines. They did that route, of course. But I, I really uh, was at a point a few years subsequent to that where I was just tired of being on all the medications and really wanted to figure out a way to manage my anxiety naturally. So I started mm -hmm. practicing a um, breathwork practice uh, made made mainstream by Dr. Andrew Wheel, uh, the four seven. How, how old were you? I would have been, I'm going to say 30-ish. Like I. Oh, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. So let me just make sure we, we caught all this because we, we're supposed to be in your childhood right now. Oh, okay. No, that's when I, that's when I found the, the breathing practice. So in childhood, this started yeah. at the age of two and continued on until uh, current current day wow and, and what i was kind of curious and i don't mean to hold us back by any means we'll get to the good stuff i promise yeah. but um i'm just kind of curious how that played a role in your development and if it had an impact or benefit or you know yeah. what was that so, all about it definitely shaped my um world through the lens of never knowing when i would drop to the floor and convulse so um, or in some cases, in earlier childhood, it was more getting extremely rigid as a board and then getting limp after dropping to the floor. So that uh, never knowing when you're going to lose consciousness will create 
for a young child, at least for me, a sense of being basically caught in the sympathetic nervous system, always on high alert, hypervigilant, not knowing, okay, when's the next time this is going to happen? How do I, how do I, what do I do? Where do I go? How can I outrun it? Um, and so it, it really, you know, that started, um, for sure, I think in early childhood, as signs of, you know, high anxiety levels that obviously at the time I didn't know it was anxiety and it wasn't diagnosed till much later, but it really became over the course of my life, kind of a full fledged fear-based lifestyle because I was just always, like I said, on alert, when is it going to happen? Wow. And of course, I'm sure it happened at times that you didn't really want it to happen, right? Yeah, you know, on on the playground after going down the slide or remember on the top of the slide. I remember one of my early childhood memories outside of, you know, being with my parents, the ones that you asked about, it's being on the top of the slide at the playground and getting, you know, the aura, the feeling that I was going to go down. And um, yeah. So, so you actually saw it coming. How many seconds did you have before it hit? You know, I t- uh, pretty. Um, so I typically have I don't know how many seconds it is, but enough to get myself in a place where it is safe for me. So um, yeah. And so now later in life, it's to to drop into some you know, techniques that I used to manage it. But earlier in life, it was at least to either tell tell somebody or at that time, I would just let out a, a very uh, strange kind of cry or yell, yelp almost. And that was what indicated my mom would knew that I'd be going down. Man, I feel for you. Uh, at least you have a way to manage it now, but that sounds terrifying. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's all part of the, it's all part of my journey here on the planet. And I, now I, I see how it shaped me and, and it's part of, you know, my purpose work that I do today in terms of how I help others, but it definitely, I didn't really correlate the level of how it positioned me to step into a very fear-based lifestyle until, you know, recently years as I did a lot of uh, deep inner work to kind of square away with some things like that so yeah and you sound um interestingly deep so i'm just kind of curious and we're moving on into the later years here in a moment but i just am wondering um when was the first time and what was it like when you realized that you had purpose in the world Ooh. when did you first realize that even as a child or a teenager if you you know it doesn't matter when i'm just i think we all yeah. come to the realization that like wait a second you know what i mean i'm here for a reason yeah i that's a really good question that i think i'd need to explore a little bit more try by trying to intentionally tap into it off the cuff here i'm going to tell you that it wasn't until uh probably my my early 30s and and not really fully grasping that until my early 40s interesting yeah i'm a Uh, slow i'm a slow (laughs) yeah i'm a late bloomer too and i think honestly i share the same sentiment and timeline um it wasn't until my 30s when i started to really realize there's something and for me, I thought it was music, you know, because I have a talent with music and I was given that gift, I believe, by my father. Um, and my mother was actually a really great painter. You know, I don't say enough nice things about my mom, but she was a really talented, very creative painter. And I always wish that she would have gotten back to it, you know, but um, little did I know it wasn't music, but there's other things, you know, but once you wake up to that and feel that energy, it's like such a rush, you know, it's oh, like, wow, sure. I actually, I have a, I'm going to do something that's going to make a difference. You know, that's what I thought. <laughs> um, that was what I was thinking going into it. That's cool. And then, um, as you grew into your teenage and adult years, did you have normal relationships? Did you date a lot? Did you spend a lot of time alone? What was that all like? Um, yeah, I would say I had pretty, you know, what you, you'd consider normal relationships. I was maybe a little bit, uh, you know, it's interesting. My, I would always have been described as shy as a child. 
And that's a combination, I think, of just how I, the lens with which I saw the world, as well as just having a highly sensitive nervous system. And so as a result of that, um, you know, shyness was really, it wasn't necessarily really shy. It was just being mindful of things that would overwhelm me. Right. And so, um, but I had, you know, I had high school boyfriend. I had, you know, lots of some of my friends from high school are still my dearest friends to this day. So I've been very, very lucky to have this family that's not just the biological family, but the the those that'll be there for you um, no matter what. Right. And so I'm, I'm very blessed in that way. And I would say, you know, I did most of the normal things. I really kind of funneled myself into schoolwork and, you know, did a little, um, started kind of down the path of self-medicating as well. So um, I think it was a pretty kind of normal, normal, I mean, into the outside world. So a lot of people who would know me would probably never even know that this is something that I'd been going through because it's not something the outside world ever knew because I did a really good job of hiding it. Sorry, on the Todd Cash show, that's what we do. Yeah, no worries. No, I'm open as a book. I'm open as a book. But, uh, you know, it was it was something that, you know, I, I there was a lot of shame around for me. You know, I, I hid it because it, it, it made me, especially as an adolescent, you know, um, it made me embarrassed. And so now looking back, it's empowering to share, you know, the story because it can help empower another that might be going through it. But at the time, you know, you're in adolescence, you're just trying to get through the day, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. And I understand that's kind of what I was thinking in my mind because I went to a private school myself for most of my time until freshman year of high school. And I was developmentally disabled with ADHD, if you will. And then I was with a lot of other people that were everything from what appeared to be sort of normal to like full on handicapped people and everything in between. So I've seen seizures as a child. And I always remember things like this one kid in particular, I can see him in my mind right now. And I'm just a little kid, you know, and he had a seizure and everybody just like looked and watched and the kids were confused and they were afraid to approach him, I think. And um, something about it made it, I could see where there would be a sense of loneliness, isolation or indifference. And that's really heavy as a kid, you know, and I remember that as a child myself, just observing it, you know, um, we all still hung out and stuff like that, but I noticed that when that happened, it it caused fear in other children, you know. And so, yeah, uh, yeah, I was just kind of wondering. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think the the thing is, you know, and as I do a lot of work with people now on on fear based living, it it's you know, it's such a um, it's such a culturally bred uh, phenomenon, too, right? I mean, it, it's not. Whether or not you have some sort of, uh, you know, health issue or um, disability or not, there is a cultural um, expectation or just a, a, a conditioning, if you will, a programming of having a fear basis that I think is is something that is is you know, something that we don't realize oftentimes till later in life. And, um, that's part of my purpose work today is to help people break out of that. So very cool. And actually, you know, I'm kind of, uh, we're right on time for this, I think, but like, yeah, I'm kind of digging it. Uh, I'm really looking forward to diving into this subject because I've been there myself and have to condition my own mind to avoid the fear-based lifestyle. So we're going to, we're going to hit some cylinders here in a minute. Um, <laughs> just one more thing. Yeah. Um, sure. Are you, are you married and do you have kids? I am married and I have two children. So uh, awesome. my two kids actually just started their first day of school today. My son oh. started his junior year in high school and my daughter started her um, sophomore year in high school. That's cool. How about you're excited to have him out of the house for a minute? No offense. I know. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. It's excitement all around. I mean, I think that is as much as the summer felt very, very short this year, especially August, somehow we went from the 1st to the 17th, it seems like in a blink of an eye. But um, there's that, you know, we need schedules and structures as humans to be our best, I think. And um, especially at that age. So I think it just 
everybody's kind of ready to get back to a little bit more structure within their schedule. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just creates a different vibe. You know, they're going to hang out with their friends and, yeah. you know, the, the work and stuff. It's not all bad. Like some school work is actually a lot of fun. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And back like to that, their but... friends. Yeah. Back to their friends. Yeah. Back to sports practices. All that stuff. Awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see how they expand and evolve and explore this year. So. Yeah, good. Very cool. Congratulations. And how long have you been with your husband? We... Let's... I won't ask for your anniversary date, but Nin... I'm sure you know. Nin... Um, it'll be 19 years. This, uh, next wow. month, actually, it'll be 19 years. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't forget to send the gift. You know, it's like expect him to take you to dinner that night at the very least. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Congratulations. You know, longevity in relationships just doesn't seem to be as common these days. And I'm always really inspired and encouraged by couples who have been together for more than five years, but like 10, 20 years. Like, that's really something to strive for, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, no, I think, you know, I think it's a choice. So I think it's one of those things where we underestimate the power that we have in any given moment to make a choice. And so there's the opportunity to make a choice if things aren't going really well to go on separate paths. And I think that's great if that serves both people to their highest goods. Um, and there's times where you have the opportunity to choose to stay in something that maybe isn't, you know, bunnies and roses and sunshine all the time. Maybe it's a little bit of a challenge and a struggle. I mean, I, you can't be married as long as I have and ha not had a lot of up and downs. Um, oh, no, but, that's what I mean. It's yeah. persevered. Do you compromise? Do you sacrifice? Do you combine your forces? You're a team, you know? Yeah, that's you know, and, and it's, uh, I just think it's one of those things where every relationship is so unique. And, and they, they say, you know, part of the, the teachings that I study under is that our relationships are our biggest teachers and it's the ones that are our closest that um, are our biggest spiritual teachers sometimes the ones that are the most difficult and those are typically the most uh, those that are closest to you so. absolutely and Maria it's time it's just time we gotta talk about it I will tell you this Fear is a silly thing, but it's so real and we all experience it in so many ways and it's so limiting. And I really just want to start with maybe an explanation of what fear-based thinking is, especially for those that might not realize they're engaged in it. Uh, what, you, well, I think, what would you say to that? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, most of my life, I didn't realize I was in th fear-based thinking, right? Um, it's that I'll put it, I'll use uh, um, the analogy of always waiting for the next shoe to drop, right? Um, for me, that was always waiting for my body to literally drop to the floor. But also the then as I grew up and as the conditioning of the world and just the cultural expectations and the demands and the there's just a lot as we grow up, right, in this culture of productivity, and so that fear-based lifestyle, fear-based thinking that we're referring to, my definition would be basically lack of trust. So if there's not a trust that things are going to be okay and that there is a path that you are uh, uniquely on and that there's a purpose that you're uniquely here to serve, um, when we don't have that trust, then everything else is kind of uh, fear-based, in my opinion. So I don't know if that's the that's not the uh, most eloquent way to define it, but that's in my experience when I stepped into trust truly, and it was a long time to get there. And not to say that I've got it completely figured out. There's things that can pull me out. Through daily practices and deep um, diligence with my own work and evolution, mm -hmm. I'm able to stay in that what I call a baseline of inner peace because I don't think we're all going to be there all the time. I mean, there's some people who have really beings who are super evolved and uh, are there, but most of us are in that area where if we can get to a baseline of inner peace where, 
you know, we still get rocked and rolled sometimes in life, but we have a quick resiliency to come back to that grounded presence and come back to that trust that that is, uh, that is what I try to help people do. So basically the opposite of, uh, living in trust is living in fear in my opinion. Yeah. And then would you say also fear is like a lack of self-confidence, poor self-esteem, things like that, or does it always center around something else? I would say there's, those are different, but related, right? So in what I find with a lot of folks that I work with when I do one-on-one work, it's, um, typically, you know, we, we each have our different, um, experiences and traumas and, how we process those because the the lens which i view life through now is that everything is meant to be an experience that processes and goes through and out of the physical and subtle body and emotional bodies and the subtle body and not retained or held on to so if we haven't fully processed it and let it go that's when we can get you know stagnation and disease and dysfunction and so um, my train kind of went off the tracks here in terms of where I was going with that, but the, um, okay. the thing with, oh, I know where I was going. You'd asked if it's relation to self-confidence and, and self-esteem. So, so I see folks who will have some core deep beliefs, um, of lack of self-worth and that, um, then comes out as confidence and esteem issues. And so oftentimes we have to kind of dig back into the story, into the programming and remembering that, you know, because we are humans, we ha- are wired with a negativity bias. This is how evolutionary we have um, come up, right? And so as a result of that, the first step to kind of realizing we've got a problem is, is acknowledging it right and then also having grace for ourselves and understanding that hey this is just as a human i am wired to look for danger period that's part of uh my brain's operating system and so what happens is when we get so uh conditioned and programmed and come into these habits of these fear cycles we we don't realize it, and here we fall into this whole lifestyle of always waiting for the next shoe to drop, expecting the worst. And so it's really empowering to know that we're wired like that naturally as humans, because then we can work to create new wiring that allows us to be very quick when those thought patterns come up to jump into, well, really, is that is, is that truly the case? Am I truly in danger here? And what what? is the worst thing that could happen with this situation. So it's it's a lot of reprogramming work, um, if you will, that I've been doing personally for a long time, over a decade, and what I um, help others do as well. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And how do you think um, fear-based thinking holds people back from not only their potential, but ultimately success in daily life? Well, I think it's a joy kill. I think, you know, if... If we are held back by that limitation, thinking that it's, you know, we're not going to be able to, let's say, achieve what we want to achieve, or we're not good enough, or worrying about, you know, something that it's like me, if I was sitting here today and worrying about, are my kids doing okay at school today? Are they, you know, how are they handling the first day? I might have, even a few years ago, spent a lot of energy focusing on the what if worst case scenario where now I'm able to think of it from the lens of oh I'm so excited to hear you know how they how they explored today what what they learned you know what they Mm -hmm. what they went through and so um yeah yeah, I feel you. And it's funny you said the what if scenario. I used to live by that mantra, like, what if this? What if that? And why? That was my always. So I think it really annoyed some people. <laughs> I always like to, I like to know why for things. Right. I think there, a lot of us are um, predisposed to catastrophize, right? And I think 
um, in addition to some of us being predisposed just based on our, our personal mind body constitution being more likely to have um, or predisposed to worry and anxiety, there's also so much within our culture right now. Um, really, really, it, it always was there, but it was really heightened during the pandemic and has consistently um, been up leveled in my personal opinion, just the um, the fear basis out there in culture, in media, in all the places, right? And so if we are focused outward and that's how we're basing everything from our worth to our level of trust to um, how we walk through the day, our perception is going to be much different than if we are able to turn inward and look at what is my truth in this moment? Is that threat real? And so um, that's kind of the, the big game changer is learning how to tap into the wisdom within. Do you think that the pandemic really ruined a lot of people's psyche? I think it brought out pre-existing potential to have um, that was already there. So I think whatever tendency you had um, had before, uh, let's say for uh, anxiety, for depression, for, um, you know, maybe um, different behavior Orgen. patterns. Yeah, whatever. Or hand sanitizer, maybe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, whatever whatever you had a kind of a predisposition to, I think when that shakeup occurred, it just allowed all that to kind of literally be shook up to the surface. And then yeah. if what I've seen... Um, in my own life and those in my sphere of influence and my clients as well, and just generally in the collective of the population, is that those who had a practice, a um, a way of coming back to self, of grounding, had, um, let's say, a faith or a, a trust in something, someone, some being, or some um, something greater than themselves, um, or a way to tap in, those folks were able to navigate, I think, and ride the raft a little bit better than those that didn't have that. So if you didn't have it before, chances are you started to look for it after or maybe scratching the surface on exploring it now. Those who had it before are those who were able to surf the, the waves a little bit yeah. easier. That's cool. Interesting. Yeah, it was an interesting time. And I got sick and I had people that were fairly close to me die and, you know, witness some things that I just couldn't believe, you know. And so for me, it kind of instilled a little bit of fear personally. And I know some other people feel similarly. And there's everything from the mild, oh, my God, something's really wrong to like dark conspiracy theories. But I try to stay as close to the surface as I can. I'd like to, I'd like to stay happy, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, and I and I think that it, it's so easy for any of us to go there, right? And in terms of, um, you know, there's just it was a big shakeup, right? And so sometimes events like that occur on the planet to shake things to the surface, and I think that's 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 what it did. And you know, there's I think it's one of those things where even though a lot of our lives were dramatically changed, and not to discount the the level of pain and grieving and hurt um, that have occurred that people are going through still as a result. Um, but I think, you know, how we handled it was a very indicative of how we were prior to uh, it occurring, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. And, um, Okay, so now that we're at least out of that zone, thank God, boy, that was weird. <laughs> yeah, just living in that experience where people would get upset if you weren't wearing a mask and stuff like that. Like, I had enough about that, like, the first day, but, uh, yeah. you know, whatever. I lived in a small town at the time, at least, so I didn't have to worry as much about it. But, um, you know, people in cities and stuff, it's really something. Uh, there's still people driving around in their cars on the freeway with masks, and I find that to be absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I know. I see that, and it, it, it really breaks my heart because it's that lack of trust there, right? It's that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, in that particular 
sense, I think it's irrational thinking because, like, really, you know, number one, where is the germ going to come from? And number two, <laughs> you're in your car, you know, and you have circulation on your air conditioner. You don't need the mask. Guess what? Freedom. You know, it's like, no, but ah. But whatever, you know, I, I wore one just to appease other people. To be honest, I wasn't really worried about myself. I just didn't want some. Yeah, person. I had similar, um, you know, feelings on that. It never innately or intuitively, it didn't feel like it was a necessity in most environments. However, I would notice the concern and the fear in others. And so if I right. can do if I can throw a little mask on to um, help you be at more peace with my existence. Um, you know, right. for me, that wasn't that big a trade off. But then unless it's, you know, 100 degrees and in, in a facility somewhere, then it would I would just step outside. Fortunately for me, I, I like to spend as much time as possible outdoors, even if it is so darn hot um, when I can. And, you know, that was my saving grace through the pandemic for sure is just having a a big backyard that I could just really uh, be free in. So, and it sounds like ultimately you're a very mindful person. You practice a lot of mindfulness techniques in different ways, right? Yeah. So I, um, you know, I was slow to come to the world of mindfulness for sure. Went through, I think, a lot of my, uh, you know, adolescence, twenties, and thirties, just hundred miles an hour. You know, just in the hamster wheel of productivity and doing 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 and not being and now i've really transitioned into being more of a literal human being versus a human doing which i think most of us spend most mm. times doing so um yeah, I, i've never i've never heard that that's yeah. very clever <laughs> well i mean <laughs> at, at the end of the day and and that's what the world has you know put on us as expectations, right? The produce more, achieve more, do more. And so when you mentioned earlier, I think at some point you mentioned um, success, right? And um, it's very interesting because my personal definition of success has changed quite a bit. And I just had wrote something about this a couple of days ago on LinkedIn or something. Oh, um, please share. It, yeah, in that, you know, let's say less than even 10 years ago in this same situation, I took my daughter for registration for her um, high school year, right? For her sophomore year. And, you know, I would normally, because success was really about being productive, achieving, advancing, et cetera, would be on my phone working on, you know, checking those emails, getting the to-do list done, taking care of things as we're waiting in line. No harm, no foul, right? Because we're just waiting in line to get the picture taken, to get the schedule, et cetera. But my definition of success, I realized as I was sitting there drinking it in, phone was put away in my bag and I was just in the moment, just fully present with her watching her, seeing how she's become such a, you know, beautiful young woman, seeing how her excitement in her eyes as she saw friends, seeing her look at her schedule and her expression change and just noticing all the all the uh, the people and the sounds and the sights around. So I was truly just being and I and that's now my definition of success. If I can be fully show up in full presence for whomever I'm with or whatever I'm with, let's say a subject at hand, like having this conversation with you, right? Full in, or in this case, being there with my daughter fully or with a client, um, or even with what I'm about to consume, whether it be a breakfast or a glass of wine, but bringing my full presence in through mindfulness has been such a dramatic game changer and has brought me to that space of true joy in life that that's my definition of success now showing up in full presence for everyone who i love lead serve and everything i consume very cool very cool and would you say that that really increased your um ability to connect with your inner self of course to be able to manage the anxiety and have that newfound definition of success those things kind of motivate you every day don't they oh 100 so i mean my my journey was from self-medicating my anxiety and being prescribed stuff too, 
um, to meditating and meditation and mindfulness, breathwork practices. You know, my my lifestyle that I've cultivated now is centered around those. And that's what allows me to get there. I couldn't be in that space of full presence today if I wasn't doing the work on a daily basis to uh, connect to my inner truth and to be able to then know what's truly important in life and and um, so that I can show up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And can you talk a little bit? I know um, you practice yoga, right? And uh, breathing is a big part of uh, some of those things. Can you speak a little bit to the power of breath and the importance of maintaining your breath and just being aware of that? Yeah. So our our breath is truly our most powerful medicine, in my opinion. Um, It is also a very uniting thing in that we can otherize each other. We can say, okay, you're in that group. I'm in this group. You're a mask wearer. I'm not whatever it is. Right. But we're all breathers. It, It doesn't matter what your economic status is, what your race or your cultural background is. We can all leverage the power of the breath. It's accessible. It's free. And it's so powerful. I mean, I um, say oftentimes when I'm teaching, my breath is more powerful than my Ativan. Uh, so Ativan, if you're not familiar with it, is a benzodiazepine, which is used oftentimes for anxiety attacks as well as sometimes used for seizures and other things. Um, but the the power of the breath in not only being able to leverage it as a rescue. So I use my breath as a rescue in some cases. It's how I actually manage the condition we talked about earlier, which was re-diagnosed after 42 years to a nervous system dysfunction. And I leverage my breath like a pacemaker. Um, with my cardiologist approval, I'm not that rogue. I, I do it with um, a, you know, approval from my, my cardiologist and neurologist. But the breath has the power to get us present in the moment. So it's the fastest way to get out of our heads the monkey mind and the chaos and the worry and the fear and into the physical form and back into truth, which is we are whole, we are here, and um, we're a hell of a lot more powerful than we think. So um, breathwork practices I leverage in every modality that I teach. It's uh, literally what saved my life, I think, and what um, has the ability to dramatically transform everyone's. And so just the data that supports this now in terms of it being able to rewire our nervous system to increase resiliency, to decrease our blood pressure, to decrease the aging process. And we can literally turn up the genes that increase health and longevity and turn down the genes that promote disease and dysfunction. I mean, that the fact that we have that amount of power in our life through techniques like the breath um, are just amazing. We're more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. Absolutely. And just a little heads up, we've got about 15 minutes left together. And I told you it'd go by fast. It <laughs> does way too fast. I feel like it's just minutes. But um, I want to make sure we cover all the bases. But before uh, we wrap up and uh, kind of make sure that people know what to do to get a hold of you and what type of benefits they can experience by reaching out to you, I wanted to ask if maybe you could just share with our audience uh, something they could do right now, like just a simple breathing exercise that you could share and lead and just offer to somebody listening that might have a little too much stress. And let's show them what the breath can do. Yeah, for sure. So why don't we do, we're going to do one. I just did this. um, I've taught this a few times this week. And it's uh, this particular practice is uh, Qigong origin, and it's called the Shi Breath. And it's really simple. Um, you can do it anytime, anywhere. And what we're going to look to do is take two short inhales through the nose. So it's going to sound like this. And then two exhales through the mouth, making a whooshing sound. So it'll sound like this. So the exhales are a little bit longer than the inhales. And in general, when we're doing breathing practices, this isn't always the case. There's some that differ. But in general, when we extend the exhale, that helps us drop into a more relaxed state. When we extend the inhale, it can help us create more energy and is more building. 
Um, so we'll do that about 15 times and then we're going to take a regular breath in and out. And then I'm going to ask you to retain the breath, the bottom of the breath. And so I'll just say for anybody listening right now and for, for you, um, Todd, to think about something that maybe you need some healing in life. Maybe it's an emotion. Maybe it's a physical piece. Maybe it's a relationship, whatever it is, some area that. Forgiveness and unforgiveness. That's That's really interesting. I just did that with. So, yeah, so we're going to just take a regular breath in and we try to like to lengthen the spine when we do any type of breathing practice. It's really important to have this real estate so that the lungs can expand so that the diaphragm can contract and we can really experience the fullness of it. So just try to keep a long breath. Just notice how you're feeling in this moment. And then we're going to take two short breaths through the nose and exhale through the mouth. In breath, out. In, out. In, out, in, out, continuing like that, in, out, inhaling, out, in, out, in, out few more in out in out in out now take just a regular breath in and a regular breath out and at the end of that breath out just retain the breath And we're going to try to retain it for a little while. If it becomes uncomfortable, then, you know, honor that and release. But if you can continue retaining it for just a a little bit longer and bringing your awareness to that part of you that needs a little healing. Yeah, not taking a breath in. And then whenever you're ready, you would take the breath in. And then we would do that for another cycle. So in this case, we'll just notice just for one mm-hmm. cycle, just notice how you feel. Notice. Yeah, it did make a difference. And I mean, also the oxygen in the brain, I can feel it right away and it, it creates a sense of centeredness. Yeah, it's, it's one of those breathing practices that relaxes while it energizes. So we get kind of both benefits. So it's a really nice way to create energy to create clarity and focus but also to come to that grounded relaxed state and so it's typically taught in a fashion where you would do 15 cycles then you would pause the breath or retain it for 30 seconds and then 15 cycles again and then pause again so you would do it a few times like that and it can become really powerful um, just one of the, I mean, there's so many different breathing techniques and, um, that one was just front and center since I just did it actually real recently. So. Very cool. Very cool. I like that. Thank you for sharing that. And can you repeat the name of it? I didn't catch it in the. Sure. It's, um, X I pronounced she. No, 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 no. You said that there was a name of the breathing, breathing technique that was chi. That, that that's what it's called. Yes. I thought she was an energy. I got a lot to learn. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is, it is too, but this is the she, not the chi breath. Oh, that's what I wanted to make sure. Okay. So if somebody wanted to Google it or look at it on your website, I just wanted to make sure they knew what it was. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you. And quite frankly, I don't know why, to be honest, but I'll confess to you that I know the joys and the power of meditation firsthand. And um, back when I was doing it a lot, I could sit down on a Sunday and meditate with a group for three hours. And it was amazing and like just transformational. And I can't tell you why I don't engage in it as much, but I'm definitely planning to. And it seems like something that I should be doing every day. And it really does make a big difference. You know, it really does. It's one of those things where if you think about um, 
if I were to go jump in the pool right now, I'd come out and I'd have water on me, right? And if I didn't go in the pool again for another couple months, but then I jumped in, I would still bring some of that water with me. So each time we meditate, even if it's not frequent, we're still going to get some of that benefit. But to step yes. into uh, a daily practice is when things become transformational in that the resiliency you can build to stress, which is where I focus most of my efforts is stress management practices, building that resiliency and creating that baseline so that when you enter into your day, things that normally would trigger you or set you off your rocker aren't going to have the impact anymore. And you're going to find it much right. easier to turn inward and say, well, what is my truth in this situation? Yes. Wow. And it's easy to get lost in that in a world of emotions, illusions, and people who just want to push your buttons sometimes. <laughs> it happens. And For sure. I, Remember, I got two teenagers. Yeah, exactly. You know all about button pushing both ways, both ways. Um, your your advanced techniques probably right over their head, but they'll come <laughs> up sooner or later, you know. Um, Maria, I want to make sure we don't miss anything that might be important. Is there anything on your heart or your mind that you might like to share today that we missed? And, yeah. uh, you know, we'll spend as much time as we need to just to convey, you know, what you're able to offer people and some of the benefits that they get reaching out to you. Sure. So I just, I want to close with just really having grace for yourself. This world is not easy, right? So uh, creating a practice for self-compassion is so key and to have grace for oneself and to really understand and know that you have so much more power than you think. Um, we've been conditioned to outsource our power to a lot of different things. And it's, you know, my purpose here on the planet to help people liberate themselves from uh, fear-based living and really take their power back. And so uh, the way I do that is uh, through a variety of modalities. So my business is called Take Five. And that is uh, intentional because if you don't have five minutes, when I started my healing journey, I had to start with five minutes because it was post-nervous breakdown and I couldn't fathom taking time for myself more than a few minutes because I just didn't know how, frankly. And so I would start with five. And if you don't have five minutes, take five slower than normal, deeper than normal breath cycles. Um, and so my my offerings range from um, education. So I bring the teachings of uh, yoga, Ayurveda, mindfulness, and um, meditation and breath work to offices. So I, I specialize in workplace well-being. But I also mm -hmm. mentor individuals as well. And so I offer everything from mindful wine tasting lessons my background to work that's great yeah to workplace well-being to individual um meditation mentorship and teaching um on all these modalities so my website's take5.health i have an online studio that has over 108 different unique um five minute guided meditations guided workplace relaxations um okay. that are accessible and then i offer live stream classes. I just launched a mentorship program. We just started last night. And so that's really exciting. An eight-week program um, that by the time this airs, there'll likely be a second cohort um, starting on that. But yeah, I, um, you know, we take ourselves too seriously. We're too darn hard on ourselves and we have a hell of a lot more power than we think. And so I just want to encourage everybody out there that you know, there's there's likely a technique out there to explore. And I oh, I should mention, too, I actually mm -hmm. started a podcast of my own this last year. Oh, yeah. Much encouragement um, cool. from others. And so that is called Chakras and Chardonnay. And that oh, is a, a well-being podcast for wine lovers. So we, we mm -hmm. look at a specific well-being tip and then we look at how to mind well-being uh, wine. Oh, well-being. So well-being. Well, oh, well-being. I'm so sorry. I, th honestly, the sound is great, but I thought you said welding, like a, a metal welder, you know, with the flame. I'm like, wow, wine and welding. You don't want to give me. You're a gonna have to have another. Yeah, you don't want to give me anything with a flame. I'm lucky. I'm. You don't want me to have a lighter on most days. 
sorry. No, that's all right. So yeah, wine and welding. So a well-being tip. Love it. Uh, then some wine tips, learning how to be conscious about our consumption, because that too is completely empowering. Um, and then I give you a guided meditation at the end as well. That's awesome. Cool. Oh, that's neat. In the wine, the winery, you do the guided meditation? I actually do it on the podcast, but I actually do it at, um, we have a beautiful little boutique winery up here on the road to Yosemite and you'll find me there uh, most Fridays. And so I educate in the tasting room and I teach people how to mindfully, I've got a five-step process for mindful consumption um, and mindfully tasting our wine. So, Very cool. And they like it when you're there because there's no DUIs that day, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, it definitely changes things in terms of um, our relationship uh, with alcohol and our awareness of when, if, you, if you're approaching it in a mindful manner and you're coming at it with intention, for example, part of my process is to ask, the second step in the process is to ask, what's the intention behind this sip? Because oftentimes we have an unset intention, speaking from personal experience, to numb pain, to take the edge off, to curb anxiety, to deplete stress versus to really enjoy the aromas, the flavors, or to celebrate an occasion. And when you step into that with intention, what happens is all of a sudden, um, you know, maybe that second or third glass isn't even needed. This is, this is, of course, if you don't have, um, a deep problem with substance abuse, then that would be a different story. But for the uh, gray area drinker, if you will, um, which I believe most of the population is in uh, that category that does consume, most of them are gray area, I would say, and what I consider myself to be, um, it can be a complete game changer to come at it with presence. It's the first step and then intention. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is a great tip. Uh, I couldn't help but thinking about my uh, late grandmother, God rest her soul. I always got a kick out of it when she would go to a nice restaurant and when they'd ask her if she wanted a glass of wine, she'd always ask them if they had Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill. <laughs> and that's like two, $2 at Kmart, you know, for a bottle of that stuff. But that was her favorite wine. She loved that stuff. Now you're thinking I know me too. We used to do that and uh, <laughs> we discovered Thunderbird and all, but back then, you know, the intent was to get drunk, <laughs> yep. you know, not always a healthy choice, especially as you get older and wiser and realize, Hey, wait a second, I need to get up tomorrow and I've got this report to finish tonight. Uh, <laughs> sure thing. So Maria Mays, could you remind us just again for your web address to make sure that the listeners have it to write down and check out? Yes. So you can find me online at take5.health. So rather than .com, it's .health, H-E-A-L-T-H. And uh, on all the social platforms, it's at take5health, no dot. Very cool. Very cool. And the name of your podcast was? Chakras and Chardonnay. Love it. That is so cool. I love it. I like the theme a lot. I think that's great. <laughs> you could promote it to an AA group probably and, and they'd love it. <laughs> At least you'd be expanding the horizons for their addiction strategies. I had friends in AA growing up and it was an interesting thing to see how they struggled and all, but it sounds like even for someone who does have a struggle with any type of addiction, really, these techniques that you're talking about are very real and valid. Yeah. Right away, you know, they provide a way to gain freedom and insight and direction and energy and reverse health issues and, you know, maintain a positive homeostasis, all of the above, all good things, just, just from breathing. Yeah. And I, I would just, you know, note on that, I definitely encourage, I mean, I do work in, um, I teach in substance use programs as well. And there it's more cultivating a mind body connection coming back to ourselves when we have numbed it for so long. And so I just encourage anybody who is struggling um, with severe addiction to get, you know, to seek out professional help along those lines. But that even with that, the power of being mindful, whether it's a tub of ice cream that's in front of you um, or whatever else it is, whether it's social media or the news, any of these things that 
um, have the potential to pull us away from ourselves, pull us outward, these techniques are designed to pull us back inward and to find that inner peace without that thing, that substance, that, um, that fix, if you will. So. Absolutely. So, I mean, honestly, in theory, and I'm seeing myself in this statement, so you can get out of your own way and move forward. Yeah. Be happy. For sure. Because <laughs> we tend to do that. Maria Mays, what a joy to have you here. I really appreciate you sharing with us today. Thank you so very much. I hope to be able to communicate again in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much, Todd. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to the Toddcast Show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast Show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out ToddCastShow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. Hi, I'm Todd Mira, host of the Toddcast show, and I want to share something personal with you today. Throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of The Toddcast Show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast to get started today.